and welcome to Women at Warp. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name's Jera, and thanks for tuning in. Today with us, we have our crew members, Andy. Hi, everyone. And Grace. Hey there. And before we get started, just want to do a quick plug for our Women at Warp Patreon, uh, which you can find at patreon.com slash women at warp. It's uh, a way that you can support us with a small monthly donation. Um, and that helps do things like it helps us print promotional materials and things and uh, get out to conventions so we can keep spreading the word about Women at Warp and feminism and Star Trek and good women stuff. Help keep these women a warp. Exactly. So head on over to patreon.com slash women at warp. And uh, anyone who donates any amount gets access to exclusive cool bonus content like behind the scenes convention stuff and uh, fun uh, Ferengi romance novel excerpts by Grace. So uh, <laughs> it is definitely worth it. Thanks too much to everyone who has supported us so far. Grace, when are you going to do more Ferengi you guys romance novel? Because I kind of need more of it. One chapter was not enough. Oh, you got you guys want more? Froom. Absolutely. What happens to Froom? Well, maybe if I had a little incentive and knowing that more people actually wanted to see it. So if you want to see more, let me know. And I'll consider yeah, it. Yeah, email us at crew at womenatwarp.com if you want more Ferengi romance novel uh, content from Grace. So today we are going to talk about the matriarchies, the women-dominated societies in the Star Trek universe. So to get started, I thought I would just give a quick definition of matriarchy. So we're, we're talking about here a system of social organization in which descent and inheritance are traced through the female line and or government or rule by women. Um, so in this case, it's not enough to just be like the Borg and have a woman in charge. We're looking at societies where women hold systemic power. So um, some people aren't aware of this, but there are actual matriarchies in the world today. The most famous one yes. um, is the Amosuo, um, I hope I pronounced that right, um, who live near the border, border of Tibet in the Yunnan and Sichuan provinces. They live with an extended family and large households, and at the head of each is a matriarch. Lineage is traced through the female side of the family, and property is passed down along the same matriline. Muswa women typically handle business decisions, and men handle politics. Children are raised in the mother's households and take her name. The Mosuo have what's called walking marriages. There is no institution of marriage. Rather, women choose their partners by literally walking to the man's home and the couples never live together. Since children always remain in the mother's care, sometimes the father plays little role in the upbringing. In some cases, the father's identity is not even known. Instead, the male's child-rearing responsibilities remain in his own matrilineal household. So I just bring that up as an example um, to sort of compare to some of the societies that we're going to talk about in the episodes because it to to also say that it's a little bit more complicated than some of the the uh examples that we see on Star Trek that we're going to talk about today. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> but if you're listening to this episode, odds are you live in a patriarchy. Um, modern sociologists talking about patriarchy are usually talking about how men hold the power overall in society, political power, economic power, military power, etc. We're not saying that all men are more powerful than all women, and it doesn't require men actively or consciously trying to oppress women. It's about systems. So you can have a woman head of government 
For example, Margaret Thatcher or the Borg Queen. Tomato, tomato, really. I love, I love the, the <laughs> comparison there. Thatcher and the Borg Queen. Okay. Yes. And still, you can have that and still live in a patriarchy because the systems are overall working to women's disadvantage. More so in Britain under the Tories than under the Borg, under the Borg Queen. That was just to everyone's disadvantage. Um, Let's just so, say that right there. Yeah. Yeah. So women are still earning less than men, serving in government less than men. Geek merchandisers still think action figures are just for boys and boys won't play with a Black Widow action figure, etc. Yeah, right. Men as a group are benefiting more than women as a group in a patriarchal system. Um, which is reinforced by a culture that associates positive leadership traits with masculinity and negative traits with femininity and treats the deeds of men as of greater importance to society. We see this anytime there is a U.S. election with a woman in it. Yeah, and then it's like yeah. people have a hard time like even conceiving of a woman leader because uh, like – we talked about this in our Janeway episode, like you can't win. You're either too maternal or you're too cold. Um, whereas the same types of traits in men are not treated as negative. The one I remember most clearly is um, when we had both Hillary Clinton and Sarah Palin running. Oh, good um, Lord. And you could see both of them were affected by that in different ways. For Sarah Palin, it was all about how she was feminine and sexy and not to be taken seriously, whereas Hillary Clinton, you know, was too masculine and, and not likable and all of that thing. And, you know, they could, neither of them could mm-hmm. win. You can't win either way, really. Anyway, we, <laughs> I'm sure we could talk all about real the real-life examples, but uh, we're going to get into the Star Trek examples. Just want to quickly say that gender is, of course, only one source of social disparity. Um, patriarchy is interconnected with classism, racism, homophobia, and other types of oppression. Um, and, uh, so that's what I mean about not all individual men have more power than all individual women. Your position is mediated by these other factors as well. Uh, okay. So when we talk about matriarchy in Star Trek, there are only really a few examples. Which is unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and by and large, they're really considered exceptional and they're almost always the focus of the episode. It's not like you just they randomly encounter an alien and just happen to mention the women are in charge. There are a couple which we'll talk about. Infinite diversity and infinite combinations. Not as infinite or diverse as you would imagine. Who knew? So one of our Facebook followers, Elizabeth, commented, Overall, I wish the franchise had more matriarchal societies that were just facets of the world setting, being sources of interesting characters and plots instead of always being a one-episode special issue to be dealt with. Plenty of Trek recurring races are egalitarian, and a lot of them are explicit or implicit patriarchies. So why not more explicit matriarchies? So I thought that was a really good point. Like, we certainly see the Klingons um, that uh, in Deep Space Nine, it's reinforced that the women uh, can't head families. And while they are able to get around that, it's seen to be very rare that the Klingon would head families. And we, we almost never see women in, as heads of government. Um, and that's not the only one of the Trek races. I've always thought it was super weird, actually, that the Klingons wouldn't allow women to be on their high council, but they also seem to value women warriors. And I, mm-hmm. I just, I've never really understood it. It seems like to the Klingons, it would be like whoever kicks the most ass would be able to do whatever they wanted. Um, but they specifically have these rules in place to keep women out of power. It seems really weird. That would weird. make the most sense. 
Yeah, I mean, the only rationale I can think of is the one that has most historically been used is like women can get pregnant and therefore they're unreliable. Like that's kind of the the oh, implication damn is you like, uterus, well, what if keeping us down in all cultures? <laughs> damn you! <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's pretty ridiculous, but that's that's I don't know. That's the only justification I can see for the Klingons, which I don't think is actually fair. Um, they have the pale in the future. They've gotta. At this point, it oh, should be a yeah, non-issue. So we're going to talk more about, though, the examples that we see in Star Trek. So Such as they are. Yeah, the first mention of a matriarchy in Star Trek, and this is a sort of, I guess, a cursory thing, because we, we don't find out a whole lot, but it's in the episode of TOS Tomorrow is Yesterday, where the Enterprise goes to get their computer the repaired. sexy computer. Oh, man. <laughs> sexy computer. That's not just a Halloween costume anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they um they send their ship to get repaired at the planet Signet 14, and the result is that the computer comes back and it flirts with all the guys. <laughs> as you would, as you would. Apparently flirtatiousness <laughs> is just one of those standard feminine and, traits. And uh, Spock is really frustrated because he's just like, female, so illogical. Uh, <laughs> poor Vulcan. Uh, but, um... Yeah, I don't know. I don't have uh, a ton to take away from this, but I just thought it was interesting and uh, it's a funny thing to remember from TOS. If I were a computer, I would hit on Spock. <laughs> Honey, you would hit on Spock even if you weren't a computer. Yeah, and like buddy astronaut or pilot guy from the past is like, all right, well, I don't want to come between you and your girlfriend <laughs> or something like that. Um, but the first real matriarchy that we see on Star Trek is in the animated series episode The Lorelei Signal, which I know has been requested by a couple of our listeners. So I'm excited that we're going to get a chance to talk about it. Um, Andy, you just watched this fairly recently. Do you feel comfortable giving a quick synopsis? All I really remember is Uhura kicking a lot of ass and a lot of pretty siren-like women. That's pretty much the episode. Well, yeah, I mean, the the animated series is interesting because they're they're really short, so there's not actually a whole lot that goes on. Like they get to the main plot of the episode very quickly, and they finish it up very quickly. So basically, they mm-hmm. get drawn to this planet, and it turns out there's lots of sexy ladies that the men folk can't keep their head together. And Uhura's like, "Screw this! I'm taking charge," and she takes command of the ship and puts together an all woman security team to uh, basically. I don't know. Does she take them out? I don't even remember. She does. I have kind of mixed feelings about this episode. Um, I have the like the screenshot of Uhura assembling the all-women team as uh, my header on my mobile Trekkie Feminist Tumblr. Um, because I absolutely, I just love how badass Uhura is. She basic- So basically they go to this planet where a bunch of ships have disappeared. And it turns out that, or so basically all the men hear a distress call, but Uhura is going, I don't hear any distress call. Um, and Kirk and Spock are like, there's totally a distress call. We're going to beam down. And uh, they beam down and uh, they're confronted by this group of blonde sirens who look vaguely like Shira, princess of power, only less powerful. Shira, princess of generics. <laughs> like genericness. they got the, the blonde and the the robe kind of thing, uh, and uh, tiaras, and they give the men these headbands that suck their life forces. <laughs> 
They they literally at one point Kirk says they're literally sucking our life forces. Um, I love this episode. Wow. Um, oh my god! And and it also includes one of the best captain's log entries. Captain's log: the beauty of this place is unequaled. It's the answer to all of man's dreams. Exquisite in every way. We're here to investigate. To investigate. The women radiate light. Oh, wow. <laughs> Imagine if they literally irradiated light. That would be like a whole nother investigation right there. And actually probably more <laughs> worthy of that captain's log. Yeah, it, um, it's pretty great. And so the the leader is is also voiced by Majel Barrett. Um, so she calls herself the head female. Didn't we have data <laughs> that when they start referring to them as females, they've already kind of lost a little level of credibility? Totally. No, no, Grace, I'm going to make you a tiara that says head female, and I'm sending it to you, okay. and you have to wear it Can't to work. Do. I'll take pictures if you send it. <laughs> and, like, so Kirk and Spock and McCoy, they run away, and they hide in a giant urn in the garden. <laughs> well, yeah, they couldn't find any skirts to hide behind. And so Uhura realizes that Scotty is also really affected by the ladies, uh, radiated delight to be and fair she, though scotty is usually very affected by pretty ladies it's nothing he out of the ordinary does, like, yeah every single time he does like this drooling vacant look that i always laugh at <laughs> <laughs> even when they're not magic ladies uh yes that's true actually i mean the tos guys are in general like if you look at mud's women they all just freeze but uh, <laughs> scotty probably most so um, so yeah, Uhura takes command of the ship. It's awesome. She's basically like, I'm taking command. I take full responsibility, but Scotty is not capable of commanding right now. Um, and she sends this all female team. They basically shoot all the, she orders them to put the phasers on stun and they shoot all the siren ladies. And then they figure out that, um, they're hiding in this giant urn, which is now filling with rain and they're drowning. <laughs> Which is, again, not their most dignified moment. They're also really old now from having their life forces sucked. Do you hear that, folks? Women age men. It's what we do. That's our secret power. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so, um, anyway, basically they win, but the sirens explain that they moved to this planet and the planet, something to do with the planet, caused their men to age but the women evolved a glandular secretion. <laughs> just and we got to remind everyone that they do this in all in 22 minutes. Yeah, exactly. It's awesome. Welcome to Exposition, <laughs> the animated series. My explanation is like half the length of this episode. So the women uh, evolved a glandular secretion that allowed them to manipulate and drain the energy from the men in order to save themselves. And then she goes, uh, "We do not age or die." And then, like as if this is the worst part, we are unable. Even to bear children. Oh no! So, well, to be <laughs> fair, oh, God, bearing no. children is kind of how you know it is. You progress as a society. Yeah, I'm not saying that like they shouldn't be affected by that, but it's well, like they're. I don't. I feel like it's kind of implying they aren't real women because of that. Focus. Um, but maybe I'm just reading too much into it. Well, I mean, if you take that part out of it, like. We're going to be young and gorgeous forever. We don't need any men except for as a food source. <laughs> Literal man We don't have eaters. to have kids. I mean, for some people, they'd be like, sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> Not me, mind you. If there but were some cats, people. maybe? <laughs> Planet Cat Lady is sounding better every day now. 
Oh, yes. <laughs> Although maybe less, you know, I don't actually want to consume men, but, you know, at least not literally. Um, <laughs> Give her time. Just metaphorically. <laughs> <laughs> so um i love the uhura kicking ass part of this episode the other part like it kind of counteracts it i mean it it kind of sets this idea that like you can't trust women because they lure you in and eat you up and spit you out <laughs> well i mean it's it's really clearly like siren succubus like all, I mean, there's a lot of different kinds of archetypes here mm-hmm. that are pretty. They're pretty. It's definitely not a you new know, usual, and lots of different kinds of victim. Yeah, yeah, no. But I like how Uhura is kind of the one to save the day, and the fact that there is this whole group of Enterprise women shows that they're not necessarily saying this is true of all women. Yeah, and I mean, there. The other problem I had is the sirens. I don't even know if they call them the sirens. I think that's just my name for them. They're but- called, oh, I don't even know if they have a name. I mean, her name, uh, the main woman, the ma- the head female. Well, her, head female. her name is Come Thela. On. Head female Thela. Head female Thela. Head female Thela. <laughs> <laughs> it's a new tongue twister for everyone. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the one thing that I thought was right off the bat was like, okay, so they're all white. And they're all blonde. Yes. And they're all thin. And they all look exactly the same and are like these, this idealized traditional. Well, that's boring. Beautiful. I don't know. I, I didn't like that much. Yeah. Well, and they're also, um, the funny, they actually also have an actual siren song, which is the way they call their computer. And it's hilarious. It's like, <laughs> it's, I just like could not watch it without hysterically laughing. Is that a MacBook feature? Is that new? (laughs) (laughs) They need that to add that to the new iPhone update. Which part? (laughs) The siren song. There's going to be like a Diva Plava Laguna mode where you can only unlock it if you can hit a ridiculous (laughs) amount of high notes. Yeah, instead of the locate your iPhone app, you just have to sing for it. And then Siri will say, I'm here. Or like Hocus Pocus, you have to summon your phone to you through song. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, come little children. Yep. So thinking that. <laughs> Hush, little iPhone. All right. <laughs> I I do want to say that I like this episode. Yeah. Overall, I like it. I mean, it's got a handful of things where you go, mm. But I had fun watching it. It was funny. It was cute. Uhura is awesome. I mean, it does have one of my favorite, just one off little Star Trek animated series moments. And that is when they're talking about how beautiful and wonderful the women are. And then we get to hear, I think it's McCoy go, but where are all the men? And he just sounds so desperate when he says it. Like, (laughs) I'm drowning in estrogen. Dear God, Jim. And then Thela goes, they're in another compound. And Kurt goes, that makes sense. <laughs> Kirk is just like, yeah, okay, why not? He's rolling like, with this. Why does it make sense? <laughs> Seems legit. At least they're yeah, the head right. female. You know, you know what another title for the head female is on another world? Mistress. Oh, Lord. Oh, yeah. And that is the episode we are going to talk about next, which is Angel One. AKA Riker's hairy nipple <laughs> adventure. <laughs> that that remains the greatest screenshot I've ever posted on my Twitter ever. Uh, it's going to be in our show art. I mean, it's going to be him <laughs> and Mistress Beata, but I was like, I can't not have Riker in that outfit on our show art. But uh, it's like 
an ice dancer. It's like a kind of weirdly fetishistic Brian Boitano. I actually <laughs> yes, that's exactly. Okay, what it I is. have comparison shots of him and of him in that outfit and 1980s 90s figure skaters, which I will also share in our show oh, notes. Oh, lord! Yes, so Angel One. Um, I'm assuming probably most of our listeners are semi familiar with this, but uh, does anyone? It is kind of infamous, isn't it? Does anyone want to give a, a quick recap of the episode which Gates McFadden has said was one of the most sexist episodes we ever had? Um, if I may, actually, here. <clears throat> Women crazy matriarchy bad. <laughs> there you go. Four four sentences, four four words, and Grace has summed it up. Uh, yeah, and actually, that was the second time because uh, Grace also said Riker's hairy nipple adventure, so that was also another forward summary of this episode. Even brevity, what can I say? <laughs> um, well, I mean, maybe I'll start with giving Picard's captain's log, because the captain's logs in this just seem to be the most golden parts. Okay. Our away team has beamed down to an unusual matriarchal <laughs> society where the female is as aggressively. D- I sound like Sean Connery. Okay, Close we're, enough. we're, we're just gonna keep. You sound like you're you're like <laughs> you've got marbles in your mouth or something. Just start going rain in Spain, <laughs> where the female is as aggressively dominant as the male gender was on Earth hundreds of years ago. Here, the female is the hunter and soldier. Larger and stronger than the male. So that's that's Picard's summary. I like Grace's better. Thanks. And, you know, <laughs> when we start out this episode and when we see the women who are in this matriarchy, after this whole spiel of the women are stronger, taller, more powerful and soldiers, and what we actually see are just a ton of petite, blonde J. Crew models, I kind of find it hard to believe, honestly. <gasps> yeah. It's just that they make the men wear 1980s figure skater outfits, and that the men that they show are like tend to be semi diminutive, like the main male character. Yeah, the main male character um, is the same actor who played Lol before Lol chose to be a woman um, in the episode The Offspring. Um, Yeah, so they cast um, they cast kind of like androgynous looking men to as like symbolic of how the women were only keeping around the men they felt they could dominate, which is like insulting to those men, um, and like and kind of demeaning to femininity because it's saying that like for men to sh- to demonstrate uh, more like stereotypical like feminine qualities or to be smaller. Or Faye is uh, is a and it form really of does add to the overall attitude that we see in this episode of it's only very much stock powerful women in the straw man position to be you know to be sexy and titillating like we're women we're powerful let us show you and just is really eye rolling totally yeah actually um so this is actually a great example of the trope of the straw matriarchy which uh, TV tropes defines as. This is how early philosophers portrayed matriarchies as a warning to allowing women in power. Women were shown to be fundamentally incapable of governing or utterly evil and castrating in their power wielding. Um, In this case, the Council of Mistresses basically exile... How kinky does that sound? Yes. I Well, okay, so question. Would you rather be named like Mistress Grace or Head Female? Fair enough, but I think in a society where there isn't a male equivalent to mistress, like master or a gender neutral one, there's got to be a better phrase than mistress. Yeah, for sure. There are just some connotations to both master and mistress that are just not pleasant. <laughs> yeah. Um, Someone get these writers a thesaurus. Dear God. <laughs> 
Apparently, this was actually supposed to be an allegory not for sexism, but for apartheid. But they use gender as oh, wow. the yeah, and like you definitely don't get that. Now out I'm of offended it. on multiple levels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, I didn't think I could be any more offended by this episode, but now I am. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't get at that at all. Um, and it doesn't show you really that sexism is wrong per se. It really does seem to more send this message that women are fundamentally incapable of governing. Because even though they're in charge of this planet, um, so not only are they doing unjust things like exiling Space MacGyver for going against the natural order, which presumably means being too manly, but, uh, basically they're overturned by Riker being sexy. <laughs> Uh, well to be fair Riker's sexiness has been used to save the day on numerous occasions can't we just weaponize Riker's sexiness and get it over with (laughs) bottle it yep I mean I'd be okay with him wearing that outfit all the time One of our um, commenters, I think it was Elizabeth, actually, again, um, but she was also saying she thought it was ridiculous how um, Yar and uh, Troy laugh at Riker's outfit, and no one mentions how ridiculous it is that Troy's in the cleavage purple jumpsuit. I was just thinking that. Yeah, it's kind of the pot calling the kettle cleavage <laughs> Yes. Especially when we get to the point where they're like, you're going to dress like that and just parade around them? And it's like... How many times has a female done that in the entirety of the Star Trek franchise and no one's batted an eye? But now when it's a guy doing it, we're making an issue out of it. Yeah. It just... I will say, though, that Jonathan Frakes wears it with, like, some super awesome confidence. Like, the screenshots of him in it are, he's like... It's true. What? You gonna say something? Say it. Say it. I love it. I love it so much. Dude's rocking it, Yeah. Yeah, I also but- like how the mistresses conduct government in what appears to be a ceremonial yoga studio. <laughs> yeah. They're all, like, also, sitting on there's... the floor, and <laughs> everyone else is, like, also, kneeling on mats. <laughs> also, they visually got this faux Asian thing going on with their kind of kimono-esque mm-hmm. tops and kneeling on the floor, and it's just kind of like, wow, look at all these white people. Yeah. Notice how this beautiful, powerful women are all white. <laughs> Again, actually thinking about it, oh, we're going to get some later on, but um, yeah, mostly the ones that we're going to talk about, um, mostly they are represented as white in matriarchies. Sigh. Um, Intersectionality doesn't exist in the future. So the goal of feminism is not matriarchy. So we're not being like, what we want is positive representations of women oppressing men. (laughs) But if the goal is to highlight how inequality is unfair you can't do that by like ending up questioning the leadership of all women yeah you've kind of shot yourself in the foot there yeah like you're just reinforcing sexism also i just feel like there there's a handful of people out there who can't kind of get their mind around actual equality like to them it's just inverting the current power structure is the only thing that they can really wrap their minds around I feel like there is a, an element of that. Which is, is right. would like, keep they things as being unequal. I, I mean, it seems like there are, are people who, whether consciously or subconsciously, feel like there has to be a loser. Do you know what I mean? And so when they're trying to portray... Mm-hmm. Which isn't true equality there. If you're thinking that one of the more powerful groups has to stamp the other down for there to be any semblance of equality, you don't understand equality. 
And yeah. it's certainly not the goal of feminism. I just, it's, it's just super weird to me, like, the, that you can't even get your mind around the idea of everybody having equal choices and opportunities. Cause that's all it really is. That is a hang up right there that acts as such a hurdle in any kind of feminist discussion also. And this episode really exemplifies it. Yeah. I mean, we've gotten to the point where things have been so slanted for so long that even just pushing it upwards towards equality feels like you're tilting it in the other direction. Yeah. But uh, the next TNG example of a matriarchy we get is, I think, a lot more comparable to some of the real life matriarchies on earth today um and is it's not it's not actually even the main focus of the story so in that way it's it's uh um a bit different than the others and that is the uh mintakins in the episode who watches the watchers um, this is actually, this is in my top 10 feminist TNG episodes. Um, I think it's a really underrated episode. Um, it's, uh, basically, uh, the Federation, Federation anthropologists are, um, have a holographic duck blind, similar to the one we end up seeing in Star Trek Nemesis, um, or Insurrection, rather. And they are observing this society of proto-Vulcan humanoids called the Mintakins. And, uh, but there is, uh, an issue with the holographic, uh, projection that is providing cover for this, this, uh, um, anthropologist station. And, uh, two of the Mintakins end up seeing the Federation scientists as well as an example of the technology. And so Troy and Riker go undercover as Mintakins to try to find out how much they found out, um, how much damage has been done in terms of exposing this, um, you know, quote unquote primitive culture to advanced futuristic technology. Um, and during their walk into the village, Troy tells Riker that, um, Mintakin women negotiate with each other for their men's services. So essentially, um, and Riker goes, what kinds of services? And Troy's like, all kinds. And then he's like, a very sensible people. Cause Riker totally rolls with the matriarchies. <laughs> Apparently. And then, um, they go into the village. Um, looks like more damage has been done than they thought. And, uh, Picard ends up having to come down and convince the leader, who's a woman named Nuria, um, that she basically has to decide how much do I tell her about who we really are? Because they end up thinking that the Federation people are gods. And, um, how do you prove that you aren't a god? Well, you have to die. So, um, <laughs> there's this. Which is inconvenient, really. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, even though there's this discussion about how the Mintakin women generally um, lead familial relations and um, have, you know, some semblance of control over, quote unquote, their men's um, services, we still see that men have voice and respect in the community. So there's a guy named Liko who sees the explosion uh, with, I think, his daughter. And he comes back and he tells everyone and everyone listens to him. There's another man later who's sort of considered the local expert on mythology. And he's consulted as to whether or not he thinks these people are gods, as are told in their legends. Um, so Nuria, the, the woman who's in charge, is consulting with the men. And there's not any discussion like in Angel One about, you know, actually 
maligning men. It's, it's more that like men have a separate role and it may be like an unequal role as well. Um, it may not be fair, but they, they'd still have like a respected place in society. So in that way, it's, it's more similar to what we see in actual earth matriarchal societies. Really, I'm happy with any episode that decides to have Ray Weiss as a, as a character. He's, he's amazing in everything he's ever oh, yeah, in he's and you great. should always hire him. <laughs> Note to all casting directors out there, if you have a chance to hire him, hire yeah. him. <laughs> I mean, maybe consider if the role, like, could be a woman, particularly, like, a woman of color, other underrepresented groups, consider other people. But if the role must be a white guy, Ray-wise but all if, the time. Yeah. 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 Just, just yeah. think about it. But otherwise, I agree. Um, but, uh, yeah, the leader, Nuria, is, like, a really wise and measured person. You can empathize with her. Yeah, I think that it's it's an example of, you know, showing that society as, uh, like our commenter said, part of the world building instead of making it like the subject of this episode that ends up just reinforcing sexist stereotypes. Also, side note, Troy is a gorgeous Vulcan-y <laughs> kind of woman. Like, she looks good as a Vulcan. She looks good as a Romulan. Riker? Yeah. Riker, not so much. <laughs> I think he looked better in his yeah. ice dancer. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a good Troy episode too. She gets to actually do some diplomatic stuff and uh, be undercover. Um, this is before Face of the Enemy, so it's not quite as intense. But she goes shows that she's cool under pressure and that she's familiar with this uh, alien society's culture and ready to navigate. Yeah, it, I mean, cool. if you think they could have put somebody else in that position, so I'm glad it was Troy and that we got to see her do something professionally. And competently. Yeah. Well, sadly, that is the last matriarchy that Riker gets to play a part in. Aww. Man, he, he does so well in matriarchies. He mm-hmm. just loves him a matriarchy, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we're going to move on to Deep Space Nine's episode Sanctuary. Oh, boy. Uh, which is... And yeah, I will... Uh, Andy, do you want to take a super quick synopsis of this? Because you just finished it. Sure. Um... So somebody comes out of the wormhole. Everyone's shocked because everyone's shocked when somebody random comes out of the wormhole, right? And never happens. Yeah, I know. Never seen it before. They beam them onto the ship and the universal translator is trying to make it all make sense. And while they're doing that, they're like taking them all over the, the station and it becomes pretty clear very quickly that the, the woman is in charge and the rest of the like looking to her and then eventually it comes to light that they are running from something called the dominion which sounds scary don't know anything about it yet but it sounds scary and they want decide that they want to settle on bajor as like their new home and the bajorans are like hey now whoa I mean, you can't just pop out of the clouds and be like, hey, that planet seems cool. I'll want to live there. And so they kind of deny their request. But the main woman, what's her name? I don't remember her name. Hanik. Hanik. And Kira kind of have an interesting relationship in which Kira's trying to help them. And, um, you know, they, they, yeah. they, they come to a kind of understanding, but Hanik is really disappointed when they, Bajor won't let them we'll just give settle them on their planet. Asking for. Yeah, and I mean, I, I like this episode. It, it had a really interesting ethical dilemma. And I would actually say that this is one of the episodes where the matriarchy isn't the main point of the episode. Which is a good thing, but at the mm-hmm. same time, yes. this is one of the few matriarchies we do get to see. And they're jerks. They're just... 
Yeah. They show up, they kind of take over the station, and then they're like, hey, we want your planet. I don't know. I thought that it was presented in a way where you could really feel for them. And the fact that Hanique gets the last word, I think, is really important. Um, she, I mean, I maybe it's partly that I'm viewing it in the context of the fact that, like, the world is experiencing some pretty severe refugee issues right at the moment. And so I thought it was a really important political episode where you really could see both sides. Um, I mean, it maybe seems unreasonable that they wanted to settle on Bajor because they believe that it was this planet told to them in prophecy as opposed to this other perfectly good planet. Um, but the idea of you know, we want to be part of your society, we admire you, and uh, we could help farm your planet, we could help feed your people. And then Bejor, like, also reasonably is saying we can't accept 3 million refugees just like that. What happens if you can't feed yourselves, and we have to feed you? So um, I thought it was a really powerful dilemma. Yeah, I mean, I really, really liked that the whole concept, because it is really, it's really timeless, to be honest. And then for me, I was like with Bajor all the way right up until that last moment where I was like, I'm sorry, but they just came out of like occupation for years. They're still trying to rebuild their they society. Got their own like thing they to deal with right now. Yeah. They don't have the resources to help you. And it's not like, it, it's not like they had nowhere else to go, you know? So I, I was with them all up until that last moment. I think that was the point is Hanik has this really amazing last moment with Kira. She's like, you are suffering a famine and we are farmers. We might have been able to help each other, but now we'll never know. And you can see in Kira's face that she's like, whoa, man, maybe I made a mistake. And that's what I went through as a viewer, too. I was right there with her. I was like, oh, mm -hmm. that's true. Hmm. And I, An entire and planet of farmers? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it goes Sorry, to show that's you just, that if... there's a head scratcher there. <laughs> well, they're talking about, like, I mean, three billion people is a lot of people, but that wouldn't be the entire planet of Bajor. That would be, like, a city, but... Or they're saying a, a peninsula. But, um, I mean, I think that for the purposes of our episode... Um, you're right, like the refugee crisis is much more the the focus of this episode. But the reason that Hanik makes friends with Kira is that Kira is the only person she'll trust. Um, and sh at the beginning, she is um, like, she won't talk to the men and she like, she doesn't want to let Bashir treat her because she doesn't believe he's really the doctor. Yeah. And uh, there's this, I actually think it's a really clever line where uh, they're all in ops and uh, Kira, Hanik, and Dax are on one side of the table and Odo, O'Brien, and Bashir are on the other side of the table. And Hanik says, men are much too emotional to be leaders. They're always <laughs> fighting amongst themselves. It's their favorite thing to do. Every single one of those <laughs> dudes are like, say, what? It was amazing. I yeah, like I you can take just that screenshot like the, and like frame it and put it on my wall. O'Brien especially is just like, what'd you say? And I was like, yeah, Aww. dudes, that's what yeah. it feels like. And Odo is like, harumph. And then Dax has this just amazing <laughs> little harumph is Odo's default state. Smirk. Though. It's so great where she's just like, yep, that's what that feels like. Have fun with that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Welcome but to I the mean, party, guys. And it's clever because it's like obviously we know that that's not fair. But we also know they're not seriously threatened by it. But it's clever because it totally flips that thing that women that we were talking about, like women in politics experience today, where they're actually told they're too emotional to be leaders. Only, it, yeah, it's like, um, you know, why would you let her have the nuclear codes? Because what if it's her time of the month? 
Um, <laughs> and it, like, it flips that and says men are too emotional because of this, like, aggression and competitiveness that's associated with masculinity. Um, so I thought it was really, uh, a clever sort of flip to say, like, if it's unfair, to judge men because of these like social traits around masculinity and aggression, then like surely it is unfair to judge women around these traits that you associate with femininity around being too emotional. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is where allegory is helpful in the Star Trek universe. I mean, I'm thinking of that episode of the original series. What is it? Let that be your last battlefield. Which isn't a super great episode, um, but for season three, you can watch it, so that's good. Um, it's that one where they have the, the two, the two guys that have the black and white faces, and they're like locked into this desperate battle of racism and whatever. And the thing that I like about that episode is that they're like, can't you see how inherently superior I am to this guy? And the crew is looking at them like, okay. Like, he's like, his white half is on the left side. And they're like, really? This is this is what you've driven your planet to, like, extinction for? And it's so stupid. But then if you think about it, our racism is just as stupid. Yeah. It is just as stupid. So when you, when you put it in these different ways, it makes it clearer how stupid these kinds of distinctions are. So, like, when you flip that whole, oh, women are too emotional, and you flip it to men are too emotional and you see how it's just as stupid both ways it is just as inaccurate yeah exactly so that's something that star trek does well yeah she also calls um her husbands her males so that's another example of like using male or female as like a way to say like reduce someone to their biological or sexual functions instead of like their humanity um and she says they're very useful so she she is too <laughs> and Kira's all like shocked that she has two husbands and or they don't call them husbands she just calls them her males and says she's bonded to them um but um and she claims you know we love our men and you can tell that no one not even the women in like Dax and Kira are buying that because you you don't love someone um through um inequality like i'm not talking about the fact, about having yeah about having a relationship with two people but um about when she's talking about how like men are too emotional and they can't be leaders and we don't we don't let them make decisions that's not loving yeah and i mean it's it's yeah. the kind of justifications that some of this like benevolent sexism we just want to protect them they're not capable you know we have to take care of them and it's like yeah if you're going to treat somebody like an adult person, you need to yeah. allow them to take care of themselves as well. Um, anyway, I just I think it works really well. Um, and whoever the actress who plays Hanique does a good job of making it seem like, well, obviously. Yeah, and I think it like because her character is a farmer, she's not actually usually a leader of her people. So um, we can see her as a character and helps understand how anybody can make these kinds of assumptions and buy into this kind of system. It isn't just like evil people. Um, so I think this episode kind of, I think it does the best of all of these episodes um, of using um, a depiction of a matriarchy to uh, call out sexism in society today. It definitely is one of the ones that's trying harder to. 
Yeah, I don't, I think it succeeds more than the other ones. I'm not saying it's oh, perfect, yeah. Yeah. but it, it doesn't demonize women. Um, yeah. Hanique still, you know, forms a friendship with Kira and people still listen to her and we still listen to her. Um, but uh, we don't agree or with or condone the way that she treats men. All right. Well, um, we are going to talk about two more episodes, but they're from Voyager and Enterprise. So I don't know if, Andy, you want to bow out for the rest of the episode. I mean, I could just cover my ears and go la, 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 but probably that would get boring after you know, 20 to 30 minutes. You'd be I probably, for a while. probably should leave you two to it. I should say when you get to these episodes, though, I would recommend covering your ears and pretending it's not happening. Yeah, that's kind of the best way to do it. Um, but um, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, do you want to let people know where they can find you? Sure. Um, the easiest way is on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at First Time Trek. I added the last episode that I tweeted was Sanctuary. So um Yes. You might even be able yeah. to see my tweets on this exact episode we just finished talking about. Um, you can also check out my backlog of some of the TNG episodes on my Tumblr, firsttimetrack.tumblr.com. Sweet. Well, thanks so much, Andy. And Grace and I shall continue with some really horrible episodes from Voyager oh, and Enterprise. terrible. Truly terrible. <laughs> have, have fun. Like, have fun. All right. All right, Grace. It's just you and me. We are... We are in hostile territory. Just we like, are in very hostile territory. Just like Voyager in the Delta Quadrant. There We are amongst the mansplainer writers. Oh gosh. I I yeah, maybe. I'll, I mean actually the writer of this next episode is a woman, but oh, okay. it's written by Lisa Klink, but there's some discussion from Garrett Wong and others um that it was touched by a lot of hands in the writer's room and underwent a lot of changes to the point that the actual story which was supposed to be about harry kim the episode we're discussing by the way is favorite son um the episode was supposed to be like a growth story for harry kim and instead Mm. turned into a story about how seductive women will suck your life forces and then kill you and how the voyager crew is just really eager to get rid of harry (laughs) yeah totally They're like, well, they say he could be an alien. Bye! Yeah, like, basically he starts undergoing these changes. Plus, he's having weird dreams about his mother. Um, And then uh, these aliens contact him and they're like, Harry, you're one of us! And they're all sexy women. And they're all like, Um, oh, that makes sense. And then Voyager's just like, oh, cool, bye! Um, (laughs) And... Um, yeah, so it's pretty awesome, but... Again, this is another case where we get to see a culture that's, um, we're told is a matriarchy and that women are running everything, but what we see is just a bunch of women acting for the benefit of the few men who are around, like saying, we just want to please you. You can marry as many of us as you want. We just oh. want you to be happy. Yeah, like basically the society... Which is sketchy to begin with. Yeah, um, you know, it's weird. This episode actually reminded me of like a season one TNG episode with Wesley yes. as, or sorry, with oh Harry as Wesley Crusher. Um, yes. because it seems like the thing that would be stupid enough for season one Wesley Crusher to get totally into. like he basically just was like, yeah, I want to stay on this planet where all of these hot women are caressing me and there's only one other guy and he's going to marry three clearly a women. Bag. Yeah, and, like, the the aliens are trying to, like, give him and this other guy mood-enhancing drugs, and, uh... It's like, really? Um, you're not 
you're not you're not running right now. And Harry keeps having dreams about his mother, which like it's very like neo Freudian or pop Freudian, because <laughs> um, he's also oh, dreaming yeah. about Janeway, and then he's dreaming about these women, and he asks one of them to tuck him in. <laughs> uh, uh, and there's a part. Does where... nothing of the fact that this is an entire species that only seems to wear bridesmaid dresses? <laughs> no kidding, they're awful. Yeah. There's um a part where But at so least they, they aren't all white. That's all, true. Yeah. That's true. There's one who isn't. If anything, <laughs> that's what they got. Um so like this guy says he's getting married to these three women and he, they go to the ceremony, which is just weird, and it wouldn't maybe even be creepy if there wasn't creepy music playing, like all the women are in veils and banging staffs, and it's just weird. Also and then, they tie him up and blindfold oh, right. him and say that it's a symbol of marriage. Marriage and bondage, same thing. Yeah, Harry's like, Harry's like, why are they tying him up? And the woman is like, it's a symbol of binding them together. And really, because it looks like he's just getting tied up and led away by them. Well, and he, he, uh, she goes, do you find it exciting? And he goes, I never thought of it that way, which is the <laughs> best, like most Wesley line ever. It's just, oh wow, it was like, you mean sex? Whoa. What? <laughs> Um, so director Marvin Rush called this, and I think it's fairly accurate, although I don't think it's a good thing, a male fantasy with a dark twist. Um, he compared- Well, uh, they're definitely right on the male fantasy part. Yeah, and he, he compared it to, he said he compared the women to the geisha girls of Japanese culture, which is a misunderstanding of geisha culture, but, yeah. um, his quote is, the Western mind thinks of geisha as prostitutes. That's an element to being a geisha, but they are far more than that. A geisha is a woman whose whole purpose is to entertain men in every possible way, intellectually and with great beauty. It's the entire package. A geisha is not a dummy. She's a bright woman, but her role is to be completely captivating to men. That was the goal for the characters in Favorite Son. To be so totally devoted to the male that whatever he wants, he can have. These guest actors had to come in and play very non-90s women. I had to do a little convincing, but we got there. Oh, Lord. Uh, also, can I say one thing? There's a point where they're talking to Harry and they're like, well, yeah, you must have some things that are different than your parents. I mean... I bet you're probably really good at math or music. Yeah. And I just stopped from it. It was like, wait, you take the one Asian character on this show and tell them they're probably good at math or music. Yeah, it was really a pretty obvious stereotype really? moment. And then, of course, Harry follows up being like, yeah, I am special. And it turns into this whole kind of cluster of male entitlement to, you know what, I am special. I do deserve multiple women. And it's just like... It's really weird. Oh my god. Um, and actually, um, I mean, I love Garrett Wong, and I don't know, yeah. I don't believe he would probably say this today, but um, in the Voyager magazine at the time, he said he was dissatisfied because they had these matronly women with no sex appeal instead of babes dressed like I Dream of Jeannie. So... Wow. Gross. That's yeah, matronly. Like, like that was, yeah, that was. First of all, they're like twenty. Um, yeah. But um, if you're over nineteen, you are officially a matron. Over twenty-one, and you're a crone. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, so anyway, that was unfortunate. Like I don't think that was the problem. But yeah. It, um, it clearly has mixed messages. It mostly seems to be again warning men about women who might be trying to manipulate them. 
and at the end there is a very like as if we didn't get this was a super tired trope that is literally like the yeah. same thing we saw in the Lorelei signal and like fairly similar to Angel One. There's a part where um, Harry Kim then like explains the story of the sirens to Paris and Neelix, and Paris is like, Ugh. "Yeah, no one could have resisted these ladies." <laughs> It's like, I was on the planet, I don't fault you, no one could have resisted them, and it's like, except for you did. Yeah, the whole time I was re-watching this episode, I was with my roommate, and we were both just kind of watching it, and like, oh, imagine if they got the one asexual member of Voyager <laughs> on there, just a really gay dude, and they're both just like, yeah, uh, uh, okay, look, looks nice, I'm, I'm going now, there's nothing here for me, sorry. Very heteronormative. Oh, totally. And again, like, kind of insulting to men to say that, like, no men could resist these beautiful women. They just can't get keep their heads on straight when sexy women are around. And yeah, it's I mean it's almost the same thing as saying like they're too emotional to be leaders. They're too sex starved to, you know, make competent choices. Like and we see that again and again. Like they're literally incapable of functioning when sexy uh, women are around. Can we just kill some of these toxic masculine tropes? Just please. Just well, stop. Well, not before we discuss the Enterprise episode, Bound. No. <laughs> in which men become even more literally useless in the pre- presence of sexy women. Also, can we talk about how in an episode where a big point of it is supposed to be powerful women, and yet there's only, like, one, we barely get to see any of the female crew members talk, like, at all. Do you want to uh, remind the listeners what Bound, which episode Bound is? Oh, Bound. What a cornucopia of head-slapping it is. In Bound, they end up somewhere where they meet up with some members of the Orion Syndicate who hand over some beautiful Orion women. So they pretty much get these women handed over to Captain Archer, and they're like, yeah, you can do what you want with them. And like, oh, well, we are good people, so we will take them to freedom and teach them and let them be independent. But, of course, the second they're on the ship, they're just like, Ooh, boys, let us flirt with you endlessly. Let the euphemisms flow like a river from my over-lip-glossed mouth. <laughs> yes. And, none, and no one is suspicious of the fact that they are constantly asking, so how does the engine work? Can you tell me where the things are? Where do you keep the guns? <laughs> and, of course, men just can't be held accountable when women are beautiful. Am I right? And so then yes. people are just completely shocked when it turns out no these these women are in control. They're 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 running stuff for the Orion Syndicate and they're trying to take over the ship. And it's yeah. supposed to be really shocking when it happens and it's like, "No, really?" I'm so thrown. <laughs> so thrown. Oh my gosh. Yes. That is an excellent description. Um also I, I just couldn't get over their Ugh, the bad wigs don't match their eyebrows, and the makeup is uneven. It just made me really angry when they don't even try with makeup on female characters. Yes, and they're Green so... skin does not a good character design make, for God's no. sake. They could uh, also probably find people who could have, you know, said their lines and not sounded like they were just reading a label on a pack of gum. <laughs> 
Yes. So they had all the convictions of someone who's trying to do a price check at the grocery store. That is true. But I don't think they were so much hired for line reading ability, which is not I mean, maybe they're great in other I mean, certainly they were talented dancers. So you know, for what little dancing we got to see them do. Yeah, the actresses dancers were not the biggest problem. But um, (laughs) uh, yeah, so we start out with, um, like you said, Archer on the Orion ship where the commander off basically is like, here's some slave girls. And Arch is like, yeah, cool. We can't like insult you by refusing slave women. And uh, the guy's like, they can make you forget most of your troubles. Of course, creatures such as these come with troubles of their own, but women are the same throughout the galaxy, aren't they? <laughs> so yeah, women. <laughs> and, and they're totally like, yeah. Yeah, they are. Sexy right, women bro, always right, pro- cause you problems. Like women are either simple, uh, in looks and in com- and with no complications, or they're sexy and bring a heap of trouble. My but- favorite thing though is that when they bring them aboard the ship and they're like, no, we're, we're, we're not gonna use these women as objects, we're just gonna totally eyeball them constantly. And we get to see two of the characters having an intense discussion about how it's like, women, I just can't focus around them. And, of course, their conversation happens in the gym. Oh, gosh. it's just guys there. Apparently, yeah. the gym is just there for dudes. No women use the gym. That is man time. Yeah, this episode is so heteronormative because what we learn is that the Orions are releasing pheromones that are making all of the men aggressive and um, distracted, I guess, and that they are making all of the women listless as, quote, a defense against competition. Um, so, like, Hoshi... Huh? Yeah, and when they first, like, start to figure this out, Hoshi comes into sickbay with a headache. At this point, the men are literally not doing really, their you're jobs. going with the I have a headache trope on this one? Oh, it's really? so insulting. So, um, really? the men are literally not doing their jobs. As you pointed out, this is a seriously big problem. Um, Hoshi comes into sickbay with headache and she's complaining about the effect the women are having on the men. And Phlox basically accuses her of just being jealous and petty. How dare you want to do your job and want people around you to do theirs? How dare? How yeah, dare? And then it turns out she's right. <laughs> and um, to Paul, like, so, I mean, we know, we can tell pretty quick that the women aren't actually slaves, but no one else knows that. And, uh, to Paul, basically, very weakly protest to Archer, like, hey, Federation doesn't really condone slavery, just, like, don't know if you forgot or something, but, like, maybe don't sleep with these women because they can't really consent. And Archer's like, oh, yeah, okay, maybe I'll, like, go talk with them. So he goes to talk with the, the main woman, Navarre, and, uh... Who was she- actually a founding member of the Pussycat Dolls, fun ah. fact. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And um, he says, um, you know, basically, I can't own you. And she's like, but I still want to serve you or to please. I still wish to please you. And then he's like, all right, let's make out. Uh. Like, because, you know, that's like, if she actually was a sex slave and you were just like, yeah, you've been indoctrinated into this awful society. I can't take advantage of that. And she's like, oh, but you can. Like, that's not enough permission. No, that's, that's kind of rape culture-y, isn't it? Yeah, and, yeah. um, I mean, so you're right. I love the scene where Travis and Reed are lifting weights 
beyond the point of like it will injure them as a way to distract themselves because like they are being so dang manly. We are just having so much testosterone flooding the screen just out of desperate fear that it may be even slightly implied that these guys aren't the straightest straights who ever did straight. And because no one masturbates in the 22nd century. <laughs> I'm, I'm shocked they haven't figured that out, honestly. That should be a prime directive right there. If you're going to be in space for that long... Yeah. You're gonna need attention reliever. Like, don't. Honestly. You guys, don't hurt yourself. There is something simple you can do to deal with this. I know they don't have the holodeck yet, but this is years after they invented the internet, so honestly. We, we do fine today. We do. I'm just saying. <laughs> was there like a dark age of sex and masturbation that, that we just missed out on? And if so, when do we get a series about that? <laughs> yeah, I guess it was during the eugenics wars they also outlawed masturbation. Oh god, it would have been a horror, wouldn't it? <laughs> so, um... My god. So basically they figure out the women are, are releasing these pheromones, so they lock them in the decon chamber, and they're guarded by a man, and... Of this like there were so many points in this episode where I really wish that T'Pol would have pulled an Uhura and just been like the men can't think straight. I'm taking control of the ship. But they no, even did she it on just Stargate for God's sake. Yeah, but she just lets them. So like Archer doesn't listen to her. He puts a man in charge of the guarding the cell. So the Orions seduce their way out. Um, and partly it's because T'Pol is, like, so distracted with wondering whether or not Trip's still into her. So that was also just a frustrating side note to this episode. Again, women. Am I right? And then Trip ends up saving the day because Trip is unaffected by the women because he's bonded to T'Pol. So he's already in, like, a, a heterosexual relationship. So therefore he can resist their wiles. So in essence, what we get from this episode is men. Are women giving you trouble? You know what you need? Other men. <laughs> this Which, is what I hear is also the moral of Fight Club. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> men, you need men to keep you away from the women. That is accurate. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is an example of the sexy matriarchy trope, which is a fantasy where the women in power are attractive and often scantily clad with strong overtones of domination, lesbianism, or both. In this case, just domination. I think bringing it back to having the head woman called mistress. Yeah, this it the TV trip says this can be just as, as offensive as a straw matriarchy. It's a form of fetish fuel author appeal for certain male writers. Um and it almost always overlaps with the trope matriarchy in name only as women in an actual matriarchy would have no logical reason to cater to male desires. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, our listener and your friend and mine, Oren, wrote in a comment saying, as far as attempting to subvert the helpless slave girl trope, Firefly did it better, largely because that show had well-developed women on the main cast, whereas Enterprise did not. Also, if Orion society is really run by the women, why are they bothering with this slave song and dance instead of just using their powers for political gain as almost every other species is run by straight men? I feel like no Trek episode has done a matriarchy well. In Angel 1, it was, oh, look, women in charge, isn't that funny? In Sanctuary, it was a little better, but the screens seemed designed to be as annoying as possible. So that kind of fits with our observations. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, um, we also had a listener request that we talk about the way that Bound fits into the way Orions are portrayed, because it's obviously very different than the way they were portrayed in TOS. 
Um, but I think we're going to have to do that in a separate episode because uh, we Oh, there's are... definitely some fodder there, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I think they were trying to modernize the story. This is an interesting like point of tension in Enterprise that they're set before the original series, but catering to an audience in the early 2000s. Um, yeah, so they're like, oh, this is good because we're saying the women aren't actually slaves. They're in charge, only they're in charge using their sexuality to manipulate men. Yeah. That that's not really female empowerment. And that the idea that like first of all everyone is obviously straight and I feel like two things could have made this episode livable. One of them would have been to Paul taking over the ship. Um the other one Which would have been rad. Yeah, the other one would have even just been to Paul and or other people like maybe flocks or um, trip who wasn't affected, um, voicing stronger opinions about how wrong this was earlier on, like both yeah. how obviously they were being duped. And before that, how incredibly wrong it was to like, assume that you could have any kind of consensual so relationship things, yeah. with people who were sex slaves that soon. So, uh, uh, uh. Uh, well, on that happy note, that's yeah. kind of all the matriarchy episodes we've got. Yeah, this is what we have to work with, people. Yeah, if only if only we were in charge. The the council of ministry or mistresses, Grace and Jera, in charge of everything. Yeah. That would be scary. I love it. Yes, make it so. <laughs> well, it was great talking about matriarchies in Star Trek with you. Um, also, before we go, just wanted to remind you that you can hop over to iTunes and um, if you'd like to leave us a review, we would love that. We always love to hear what you're thinking. Or you can send us a listener mail at crew at women at work dot com. Or Show us some love. Give us some feedback. Yeah. Or go find us on Twitter at women at warp or on Facebook, um, Facebook dot com slash women at warp. And uh, we are going to head out. Grace, where can people find you on the Internet? You can find me on Twitter at BoneCrusherJank, or you can read my writing on the MythCreants blog. Fabulous, and I am Jira Hodge, and you can find me at trekkiefeminist.tumblr.com, or at Twitter at Jarrah Penguin, J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin. Have a great night, live long, and prosper.